What's going on, everybody? It's Zach here with another episode of Clutch Crew Sports, and we've got a full show lined up for you today. So we've got all four podcaster members here to talk about different stories. Uh, the national championship game might be starting as we wrap this up. We are recording on Monday night. So at the end, we'll give our uh, predictions, or maybe we should do it at the beginning, who he thinks is going to win, but I, I already know what everybody's going to say. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we all picked the same team, so. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we all picked LSU. I'll just say it right now. Yeah, we all picked LSU. I think it will be a kind of close game. I can see it being like a final score, like 45 to like 38 or something like that. That's what I see it high scoring. I think it'll get to the 40s. Um but it should be a fun one nonetheless. You got the best offense versus the best defense. Uh, we'll see if the referees have a hand in this game like they did in the Clemson-Ohio State game. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of controversial referee stuff going on lately. You know, the Packers-Seahawks game, I think still I, – I still think that was a bad call um, to not – to have him get a first down. I thought it was short, but – Nonetheless, we'll be we'll be talking about that probably in the next episode. But <laughs> we've already talked about the refs enough on this show. Yeah, yeah, we spent a whole episode talking about NFL referees. <laughs> well, I mean, they they just keep giving material, so it's hard to that, that's hard their to problem. Not talk about it. Yeah, it, if they would stop giving so much material, we wouldn't have to talk about it so much. <laughs> yeah, they need to just put a microchip in the ball so we know where it is. Like that's what I'm thinking. Like. <laughs> We'll, we'll see. That, we have the technology, like <laughs> we have the technology. <laughs> but uh, no, I was saying how, like you know, they should. One of the few things that I think they should take from the Alliance of American Football is that whole eye in the sky thing, where they have like basically I don't know how many officials there are on the field at one time. I think there's like what nine on the field, but then basically they have like a tenth official sitting up in like in the box, so that way if a call is wrong, like if they call you know, like a pass interference on the field or, and it was like, clearly wasn't, or like if they call an offside on the field and it clearly wasn't, then the person up in the box can be like, Hey, that was the wrong call. Change it. And like, yeah. they can do, and they can do that almost instantaneously when they do that. So I feel, you know, that way they can kind of, they still, it still has the human element to it. Cause some people are like, Oh, you don't want to go to technology because you want the human element, but at least the human element's still there. And it's not really like slowing down the game at all. Yeah, that's the thing. You that's you don't true. want it to slow down, but man, I I still think they should put a chip in these balls and <laughs> geotag it or something because that that way you don't have to guess when like you can't see the ball and it's like questionable on the goal line or something like that. Like Use you know the technology maybe they have in tennis. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. We'll we'll see we'll see how that goes out in the future. But so today, guys, we're going to be talking about a really a wide variety of different sports here and really unique topics as well. I'm going to be starting out talking about Marshawn Lynch's recent post-game speech and the message behind it and everything. And then Nate is going to be talking about the Houston Astros, how that investigation went. Personally, I'm not aware of anything going on in baseball. So I saw on Twitter that they got a bunch of draft picks and people like got fired and stuff, but I don't really know the reasoning behind it. So he's going to inform us on that. And then Eric's going to talk about his favorite basketball team and how they're off to a surprising start. I know he'll be happy to talk about that. Uh, and then Connor's going to talk about the future of the Ravens now that they've lost two playoff games, two home playoff games in back-to-back seasons. 
And so we got a little bit of everything, some football, baseball, and basketball for you on this show. And each of us will get responded to by somebody as well. So you won't be just hearing my take on something or just Eric's take. We're going to all interact with each other's stories like usual. So I'll get us started here. Um, Actually, before I do that, I got to share you guys uh, some trash talk and some ownage going on recently on Twitter. Some I've been, ownage. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been uh, I've been quite more active on Twitter over the break, especially last week. And uh, somebody tweeted out something about the Seahawks Packers game that I thought was different. I guess he said it one thing, and I was like, I disagreed with him, and I just stated my opinion basically. And then he responded to that and totally changed the subject by going to my trying to attack my personal Twitter name here, Pei Yan for Unique Ngakwe. He said Unique Ngakwe will be a raven. And then I said, you wish he's getting tagged. But then I was like, I can do better than this because I looked and I saw his bio over here. And his bio has got a bunch of different sports teams. He's got the Ravens, the Lakers, the Marlins, and then Gator, and then Gators football. To me, I don't know why people put football and basketball into things. Like, if you're going to support a university, you got to support all their teams. But yeah, it's kind of makes him even more of a bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, it makes him yeah. even more of a bandwagon because Gators basketball is having a bad season. So I wouldn't be surprised if he puts, like, Duke basketball in there now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Or, I don't know, maybe Ohio State basketball or Gonzaga basketball. Yeah, just somewhere other, you know, just some random part of the country. Just pick whatever team's doing best. Uh because, you know, it's it's pretty weird to be a fan of those unique teams. So I, I told him, looking at the teams in your bio, did you become a Ravens fan before or after Lamar won the MVP? <laughs> and he he never responded to it. So <laughs> I'm sure hey, it well, got read. <laughs> I, I will say one thing, at least to his credit, he's a Marlins fan and they're complete garbage. So I will give him credit for that. But <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Maybe other than that, had, other than that, I'm giving him zero credit. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I wonder, he probably was a Warriors fan the past couple of years, and now is a Lakers fan. Like, that'd be my guess. But uh, <laughs> we'll see if this guy ever wants to reply to me on Twitter or, or message me again or something. I'll, I'll I'll be looking out for it. But for now, Zach won, Ravens ready zero. <laughs> <laughs> D-Lo. <laughs> You okay there, Eric? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. I was just laughing. Eric's dead. You, you killed him. <laughs> I may have died. <laughs> Gotta get Kawhi Leonard now to take over the show. <laughs> yeah, where is he when I need him? Yeah. All right, so going now on to my story slash topic for this week's episode, I wanted to talk about Marshawn Lynch and not really for what he did on the field this week, which is really not, not a lot. He he didn't do very good this game, but his like post game uh, media session with, and he kind of went off on a tangent here because the reporters asked him, you know, everybody wanted to know, Marshawn, are you going to be back next year? Are you going to be back? And we don't really know that from the answers that he gave, but he started going on like a monologue, which is weird because, you know, this is the guy that was only there so he didn't get fined a couple of years ago um so do you think you guys played okay maybe (laughs) yeah so the fact that he even said anything at all here got my attention personally because he's not one to normally to talk and 
everything. So they so basically what he went off on, and you can see I'm not going to read the whole thing on uh, on YouTube, but basically he was kind of telling, giving like his advice for younger players that you should take care of your body, take it. <laughs> this is funny. They don't be taking care of their chicken right. You feel me? <laughs> um, <laughs> I when I first heard it, I was like, "What?" I, like I didn't know what at all that meant. But then you know, context clues like chicken, like money. I just thought that was a weird uh, acronym for it or whatever. I thought he, you know, that's not a common one at least for me. But he he talked about that a couple other times here, chicken. Um, so basically, he was like saying, you know, keep your mental health, keep your physical health, and make sure you don't like waste your money and everything because when you retire you're gonna have all this money if you invest well and you don't blow all your money and everything and so i i mean i totally agree with everything he's saying here because it's sadly it's something that happens all too common and i'll go to the next slide here to bring up this the statistics on it all but so sports illustrated came up with uh the 78 percent number that they estimated where 78% of NFL players go bankrupt or have financial stress within two years of retirement. And in the NBA, it's a smaller number because the contracts are bigger, but it's still 60% are broke within five years. So, and obviously this number, is, it's like this because the average span, the average career in these sports are only a couple of years. So, you know, you got to factor in, they're talking about like practice squad and bottom of the roster type people they they make up the majority of the nfl players it's not all like uh carson wentz the golf salaries going out to players so obviously those players have to do a lot more work to screw up their financial uh <laughs> their financial situation if they're getting <laughs> that much money but basically i mean even if you play one year of professional football i mean at the minimum i think the contract in nfl is like a five hundred thousand. So that's, you know, it's not a lot for football standards, but that's quite a bit to be making in just one season. So, yeah, you're probably going to need to, like, have a career and go on to do different jobs after football is over. But still, with that money, you should be well be able to afford a house and feed your kids and not end up being broke and have to, like, work two or three jobs to make ends meet. And... Basically, I read an article from The Undefeated, which was interesting, and I'll go back to it to get uh, the names right. So they talked about Lewis Neal and Russell Davis. So these are two different generation guys, and Russell Davis was a top pick for – and they have kind of different stories, but Davis was a top pick back in like the 70s, I think, and – he was a center for the Steelers, and he got a bunch of money. He played five years, but he talked about how he was always blowing his money because he felt like he had to. He saw guys making more than him, and he would go eat at those type of restaurants when really he shouldn't have done that. He he said like the first thing he got was a luxury car, and then he was like, to have a luxury car, you got to have a three-car garage. And then all these things trickle down, and, and then pretty soon – he also said that his agent took advantage of him, which happens all all too often as well. But it's it was sad because he lost a bunch of money, and then five seasons he got cut and didn't have anything, and so he went broke and everything. And then he 
started you know sharing his story to a lot of people he's okay now obviously but he's a huge advocate for players being financially aware aware of their finances and everything and then kind of on the opposite the uh lewis i think lewis neal his story was he just grew up loving finances and he was always he wanted to be like an investor and he basically he said in his childhood he dedicated his life basically to football and investing because uh, he didn't come from much. He came from a poor family. And he said, instead of watching TV or, you know, just wasting your time doing stuff like that, he would read up, he would read books on investing and he would, you know, do those sort of things so that he would become financially literate for when he would get drafted into the NFL. So when he came into the NFL, he would know what to do with his money and he wouldn't end up being one of these 78% people. So, which he did. And he also, also another thing, he wanted to educate people. So he, he went to LSU and he basically all his teammates, he was kind of preaching that like when you go pro or whatever, you know, make sure you have savings and make sure you don't, waste your money on all this stuff and so i mean it's not like obviously nobody's really going to disagree that this is important or anything so it's not like a controversial topic to have but it is just something i had no idea that this number was this high like i i figured it would be a sizable number but this is a majority i mean this is almost 80 percent uh which is crazy you know to think about 80 percent of players could uh like the in the case of uh, Russell's story, he said that he went back to school to finish his degree, and he was like a janitor there, and basically he was um, one of the people working with him or one of the people's houses he was cleaning thought they recognized him as Russell, the former Michigan player, and he said shamefully he said that he wasn't him because he didn't want to have the embarrassment that he was an NFL player that is now working as a janitor. So um, obviously this is a, this is a alarming trend. I think that this number is this high. And so what ways that the NFL and NBA are doing to combat this is the players association really stresses this financial advisors thing. So this is a screenshot here from their website and they, this is literally the main website of the NFLPA. So they have right in the middle there, financial advisors, which you can click on and get more information about. But basically, I, I really do think that this is important because, I mean, it, it it's just sad to see players that were on the teams that you loved living so great. I mean, they're living, they're having great lives and everything. It's like they're on, they feel like they're on top of the world kind of like Lynch said, like, take care of your body and everything. They just think that, oh, I'm going to play like Tom Brady and have a 20-year career, when in reality, that's extremely rare to happen. So I, I just hope that um, that these associations are able to educate more people on financial awareness, and that's all really I have to say about this. So I'll let Eric, uh, now that he's heard the story about Marshawn Lynch and then these uh, statistics give his uh, his thoughts on the, this matter. Yeah, I hadn't heard about Marshawn Lynch saying these things after the game or whatever, so I was definitely intrigued to see 
about what you were going to say that he said and mm -hmm. what all type of information you were going to provide and everything. I also did not realize that it was 78% that were struggling after their careers, although I did know that it was a high number. I have heard about these types of problems in the past where players go broke pretty frequently. And I think that the NFL is doing the right thing here with the having the information for the NFL Players Association to get financial advisors. And I've also heard that also another thing they do, I, I want to say it's when it, this happens when players are going through the combine or sometime around that time, like close to before the draft where the players that are wanting to go into the draft are actually required to take a brief financial course that just lasts like a couple of days or something. It's just, uh, I guess, basic information to help try to prepare them for what it's going to be like. Because the, but the problem is, is that you just have so many of these kids, which is basically what they are, you know, when they first come into the NFL, you know, most of them are between the ages of 20 and 23 when they're first joining the NFL. And a lot of them kind of like the story that Zach shared about the player that, you know, came up from nothing. I mean, that's a lot of the players that come into the NFL, a lot of the players that come in the NFL aren't necessarily, you know, players that come from rich families that already have a lot of money and their experience with money. A lot of them, you know, came from poor towns or just, you know, their parents were working two jobs to try to get them through school. And so they're living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, they've never seen more than a couple thousand dollars maybe. And so, you know, then they get in the NFL and they get that first big check, their natural instinct is to spend it, whether it's to buy a new house or buy a new car or, uh, you know, whatever, a bunch, just a bunch of like jewelry or a bunch of expensive mm -hmm. things that they don't really need. That's the problem is just that they're young and a lot of them are uneducated. And personally, which going beyond the NFL, I really wish in like high school and in college, but especially in high school, I wish there were more classes that people could take regarding finances and managing money. Because some of the classes that I w was required to take, I'm, I would always think to myself, why do I need this? Like, what what would I ever use this for? Mm -hmm. But then whereas like, you know, learning about money is huge. I mean, everybody needs money. It's essential, you know, it's essential to living and you have to be able to manage it right. And it's staggering to me, you know, to see that 78% are broke within two years. And especially with the salaries being even higher today, you know, maybe if this mm -hmm. type of stat came out back in the seventies or something or the eighties, then I wouldn't be quite as surprised because it's not while they were making more than most people still back then, it wasn't anywhere near the level of money it is today now. Like Zach said, even like the cheapest contracts are around five or 600, oh, excuse me, around five or $600,000. You do got to so, remember the $500,000 is, like, you know, compare that to how much 500000 was in 1980 or whatever. It's a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. there's inflation. 
<laughs> well, and even and then even like you know in today's time now, five hundred thousand dollars. Okay, but compare that to the average salary that most Americans make. I mean, oh I, yeah, it's I like make so... under I make under thirty thousand dollars a year. Like, and I, yeah, you know, I mean, like yeah, but I mean, like, not, the average I'm is probably broke. like forty five thousand. So it's like you yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah, it's a huge difference. But the problem is just they don't know what to do with it. And, you know, like Zach said with the one guy, there's a lot of peer pressure. You know, you want to be cool. So you, you know, got to have that big mansion that you can show off on Instagram or that cool sports car that, you know, you can pull up with and people will be like, oh, that's so and so. You know, they, mm-hmm. they got to be cool and hip and everything. And when really that's not what, well, obviously you can have, luxuries if you're making money like that you need to put you know money aside in savings and you know in the stock market or in real estate or put it in something <laughs> savings <laughs> do, some, do something with it you know so this is probably actually something i'll mention when i'm writing my book just the amount which this is another thing just with people in life in general it's amazing how many people i've heard of or heard stories about that were you know making a hundred thousand plus every year but yet they're broke and have no money because they're going into debt or making you know monthly payments on things that they shouldn't really even be doing and you know and it's like you know i sit at thirty thousand and you know, i'm almost debt free now and i've you know, I don't have a Lamborghini or anything, but you know, <laughs> like I have everything I need in my life and, you know, and I'm doing that on way less income. And so it's just managing money is so important. And I wish, you know, athletes knew how to handle it better. I do think the proper steps are being taken though, which is good, but it's definitely obviously still an issue if 78% are still struggling after being out of the league for two years. So hopefully, you know, five years from now, the reports will be improving about this because i love talking about money i could do it for hours and you know to hear this type <laughs> mm-hmm. of thing just kind of i didn't realize it i knew it was bad before but i figured with hearing some of the things i'd heard about in the past i figured it wouldn't still be this big of a problem so hopefully they can get it straightened out and these players can get the you know advice and help they need to manage their money better so i'll leave i'll leave yeah. it with that yeah good. well Good job, oh, there, man. Uh, yeah. Well said. <laughs> I was gonna yeah, go say ahead. something too, like with uh, you know, you talk about they have these financial advisors, but if you want to take advice from any former player, because I think this is one player that I remember, you know, in particular who probably did one of the smartest things I've ever heard was Rob Gronkowski. Basically, the whole time that he was in the NFL, all of his like you know contracts and everything that he got from the Patriots, he basically just stored away in a bank account somewhere. And the way that he lived was he lived off of his, I mean, like a lot of like, you know, not as big time players can't quite do this, but, you know, it's still a precaution that he te- he took was that, you know, over the course of his time in the NFL, he lived off of his signing bonus and endorsements, but all of his actual contracts, he like stored away in a bank somewhere and never actually spent a dime of his contracts while he was playing, which is like actually incredibly smart. It is, that's, yeah. That's, that's yeah. super smart. <laughs> I, like, but going back to what Eric said, like, I guarantee you, like, he had some knowledge about, like, the importance of finances and stuff. Right, like he, right. You know, right. so that's why that stuff is so important. I mean, that's, 
you know, nobody's going to be like Gronk and being on TV and all these head and shoulders commercials and all that stuff. But like, um, but yeah, that's still definitely, I mean, when you're making that much money, you can easily, you know, save a large percentage of it for the future. So you don't have to work another job. You know, you can get an early retirement and everything uh, and you have great opportunities for your kids now. So yeah, well said here, guys. So we'll we'll move on now. I mean, we could talk a lot more about that, but we'll go on to Nate's topic, talking about the Astros. Yeah. So today, I know um, our podcast usually is focused on like football um, and basketball, you know, NBA, college football, NFL, all that. So we haven't talked too much about baseball. So, but today's kind of an exception. There's probably the biggest sports-related story of today was. Um, the Astros were handing down a bunch of like really severe penalties for cheating that went on during their um, <clears throat> run up to the World Series back in 2017. So since I know like what our podcast kind of focused on in the past, I'm assuming like most of our listeners, you know, maybe are more of like NFL or basketball fans might not follow as much of baseball. So I'll kind of give a rundown of um, what the Astros did and then what their um, punishment was from MLB, and then kind of what it means for um, the sport and a few other, like, uh, you know, organizations and people going forward. So I'm going to start with um, what they did. Uh, Zach, if you want to click to the next slide, I've got a yeah. uh, picture that kind of corresponds. Yeah, there it is. Um, it's kind of grainy. But basically what happened was uh, the Astros were caught um, – with a sign-stealing operation going on during their games. So basically, like, when, um, you know, when a pitcher is going to throw a pitch, the type of pitch that is selected is based off, um, like, a predetermined sign. So, like, the catcher will hold up, like, a one or a two, you know, one finger, two fingers, if it's, you know, a curveball or a fastball or whatever he wants the pitcher to throw. And the pitcher will see that and obviously um, throw that pitch. But what the Astros were doing was they had a way to figure out what the other team was going to throw, and then their hitters were ready for it. So they basically put positioned a camera out in center field. Um, I, I believe this was, this only happened in their home stadium in Houston. I don't think they set it up uh, anywhere else. Um, they set up a camera out in center field and had it positioned on the catcher where he was giving the signs. And then that camera feed went like live into... Um, a setup kind of behind their players dugout and like, you know, the walkway from the players dugout into the uh, clubhouse, which you can see in this picture. That's where they had um, a monitor and all this like wiring going on to get the live feed um, in there. And then basically what they would do is they would, there'd be some guy um, like monitoring that. And then he would make a phone call out to the dugout and say, um, hey, this specific sign was just called, and they'd have, it would usually be one specific pitch they were trying to watch for, like, if, if a guy had one, like, signature pitch that's, you know, extra hard to hit, or um, one that, you know, the guy should be watching for, just in particular, like, they would watch for that, and then report it if they um, saw it called. So, then the guy, um, this is a picture, it's actually a picture from a uh, screenshot of, like, the Astros, like, World Championship um, DVD, like, you know, anytime a team wins a championship, they got, got, like, the movie of the whole year, like, 
you know, all the highlights and stuff. This is actually just um, an unintended shot of Jose Altuve walking through the walk, walking through the uh, little area, and they just had top and had that set up in the back, uh, totally unintentional. But um, that was a big piece of evidence, um, you know, in this particular case. But um, where's it going? They um, okay, yeah. So kind of got sidetracked. But the guy in this picture, he would basically make a call out to the dugout and then either a coach like an assistant coach or a player who wasn't active would sit and if it was the pitch they were looking for they would bang on a trash can and there are several like shots or um clips from game footage where you could hear like through the broadcast the big banging noise um just coming out of nowhere like no one really knew what it was like live you know thought maybe it was like fans making noise or something but when all these like details came out, people kind of pieced this stuff together and found out that hey, the Astros were um, tipping off pitches using that trash can signal. So basically, this whole like complex uh, operation going on to let their hitters know what pitch was coming so they could hit it better, um, strike out less, all that stuff, and then they won the World Series that year. So a lot of people, you know, rightfully are saying that. Hey, maybe they wouldn't have won the World Series if they weren't cheating like this. So, what happened today is after it's been a few months of investigation. I know this story first came out in like late October, November, I believe. Um, right after they had the Astros were actually playing in this year's World Series, um, but the MLB finished their investigation. They handed down a bunch of um, severe punishments for the Astros. They took away the team's first and second round picks for this year and next year's draft, which is pretty huge um, punishment, obviously. They suspended the team's uh, manager, like basically the head coach, and their general manager for, um, a, they gave them both a one-year suspension. And since that suspension was handed down, the Astros fired both of them. And um as part of the investigation, the NLB is also looking into Alex Cora, who is currently the head coach for the Boston Red Sox, but he was hired, um, yeah, there he is up in the uh, top right corner if you watch on YouTube, but um, he was hired after the Astros won the World Series when he was an assistant there. So they're saying that he, as an assistant coach, he potentially had a pretty big role in this um, situation. So they're looking at possibly a uh, suspension for him, which is rumored to, it's rumored that it'll likely be even more than what the Astros coaches got because he, what they're saying in the investigation is that he was like actually involved with the, um, like whatever, hitting the trash can or getting the signs from the, uh, uh, camera feed. So that could be a big deal for him. So basically, like, kind of going forward, um, from this, there it could be a big deal for the Red Sox because they hired him as head coach. His first year, they won the World Series. Uh, last year, didn't do uh, very well, but obviously the pieces are still there to try and um, have a good year next year. But if he were to get um, a year suspension or worse, that would obviously kind of set the team back, losing their um, head coach. And if he does get suspended, it's likely that Boston would fire him and just go in a totally new direction at coach, um, judging by what the Astros did firing their 
uh, suspended coach and general manager. So um, aside from Cora, though, I don't think the Red Sox would have to forfeit any draft picks or anything like that because they had no uh, involvement in the uh, cheating. They just kind of hired the coach who was there, and they had, you know, as far as anyone could tell, they had no knowledge that he was involved. So nothing on the Red Sox, just their coach slightly going to get in trouble. Um, and then as far as the whole MLB goes, there's been some rumors um, since the suspension was handed down. Uh, former players have been kind of said like they've experienced a similar situation uh, with other teams. They suspected like other teams around the league uh, were doing the same thing the Astros were, which there's been no other evidence to um, like substantiate that. It could just be you know players who are like bitter that they got cut by you know such and such team. Um, players bitter that you know they didn't have a good game against this team. Like who knows, but. I think it's going to be interesting here going forward. I think um, that we're probably going to hear a lot more about this story. I think there's going to be a lot more that comes out about uh, potentially other teams doing the same thing because not that – I mean, hopefully it doesn't because that would kind of discredit the whole sport. But as you kind of saw <laughs> with the steroid, um, you know, kind of crisis back in the early 2000s, like 19. 19- 90s like once um some people start cheating like it's not usually long before the rest of the sport catches up you know like um Barry Bonds and like Sammy Sosa are like the big names like that did steroids but um there have been all kinds of former players that came out and said like oh you know 85% of the league was on steroids at that time like you can't just blame Barry Bonds like he's a scapegoat or whatever so it's potentially troubling that Given that history, you know, who knows if a bunch of other teams were doing the same thing or they adopted the same thing like last season after, you know, seeing maybe seeing that the Astros had gotten away with it. Um, who knows? Hopefully that, you know, these crazy severe suspensions, hopefully that will, you know, uh, discourage any other teams from trying this. But I think it'll, I don't think it's like the last time we've heard of, we'll hear this story. I think it's going to be. Uh, definitely an ongoing situation, especially because we got two uh, coaching searches for two of the top, you know, top tier teams in baseball. So definitely a big uh, story going on here. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to when I first heard about this with the Astros, it was funny. I actually didn't see this. It was funny. I was actually is my girlfriend who mentioned she's like, have you seen what's going on with the Astros? I was like, what are you talking about? Like the Astros, like, you know, what do you, what do you mean is going on? Like, oh, they're like something about like, you know, they're like when they were in the World Series and everything. I was like, babe, they were in the World Series like two years ago. Why are they talking about that? And I looked it up and I was like, oh, man, like they're actually getting them for sign stealing, which is crazy. I mean, you know makes you think somewhat over to, um, you know, what goes on, how there's been all these allegations again against Bill Belichick in the NFL. But, like, this is far more severe, for, you know, from what they found for in the MLB. And, yeah. I mean, it seems to me it's like, you know, it's like the MLB can't catch a break, you know. The league was just kind of really, in the last five years or so, really just starting to get over the whole steroid era thing. And now, you know they have this going on um and it is what nate said what really caught my attention was you know how when there was the steroids just saying oh like 85 percent of players did it and so also 
the question begs how many teams were doing this, kind of like how in the NFL, when it all came out with, you know, the New England Patriots to Flategate thing, how everybody was saying like, oh, well, yeah, the Patriots did it, but, you know, all these other quarterbacks also do it too. So, I mean, like, I don't think they ever investigated anything because it wasn't really that big of a deal. But, you know, it's just like they're saying like, oh, you know, Peyton Manning uses underinflated balls and Drew Brees does this and Aaron Rodgers actually likes the ball overinflated and blah, 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 blah. So it will be interesting to see if, you know, because I'm I have no doubt the NFL's or the NFL, the MLB is going to launch more investigations into this. And I do think they're going to find more teams that got involved in it. And I mean, unfortunately for, you know, a lot of the fans of the top tier teams like, you know, I, I tend to pull for the Yankees. I wouldn't be surprised if they get caught in this, too, because, you know, who knows? Maybe it's the reason why some of these teams are top tiers, because they've been having this going on. So, you know, teams like the Yankees or the Twins or, you know, the Dodgers could might start coming under fire for this. So um, I'm really curious to see where it goes. And also, I know they've talked about that the Red Sox are probably going to get, or at least the coach is probably going to get a lot harsher penalty than what the Astros got. So I'm interested to see what they give to the Red Sox. I remember when they started this, they were kind of mentioning like, oh, well, could they take away the team's like, you know, World Series? Like they have the right to take away their World Series title and whatnot, but I don't think that'll happen. But um, it'll be interesting to see what the MLB decides to hand out to Alex Cora if it's, you know, and they'll probably do the same thing. Like they'll probably take away their first and second draft picks like they did with the Astros. But um, all the indicators are pointing to, I mean, it's funny. I'm actually looking right now at this one article, the, uh, the headline is from NBC Sports says Alex Cora is a dead man walking. <laughs> so, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But it's it's just bad for the sport of baseball. The fact that they seem they can't seem to get over these sorts of things, and you know, I'm sure they probably still have some issues with, you know, uh, they haven't fully gotten away from doping and stuff in baseball either because they've never really had the crackdown regulations that like the NFL and the NBA and all these other sports have on it. So um, just ba- a bad look for the MLB, never good when there's a big cheating scandal, but mm-hmm. you know, we'll see. It's, it is going to be interesting. Also the, uh, the coach and the manager searches that goes on for the Astros and the Red Sox. And I mean, the Red Sox already kind of fell off a little bit this year. It'd be interesting to see if they, you know, what happens with the team, if they, you know, if when they get a new manager, if they fall out of contention, which I don't think's going to happen too much, because I feel like in baseball, the managers aren't quite as important as, say, like the head coach in basketball or in football. But it, it's definitely going to have an effect on the team for sure. Yeah, I just got to say, though, how stupid are the Astros for letting this screenshot happen in their team <laughs> championship video? Like. Yeah. I mean, like they deserve what they get for for just allowing this to be published in a championship documentary thing. Like, <laughs> right. Stupid Woo, tax cheating. right there. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the whole thing that Paz just went through with the, you know, people call it the Fleet Gate too. Like people that technically worked for the organization, but not like, with, you know, actually with the team, like got caught videoing you know, stuff for some other documentary, the Bengals The, the, the Bengals of all teams. Like, they gotta, <laughs> these teams gotta, like, watch what their, um, like, their social media, you know, videos. Well, and also, like, the, the people yeah. they talk to, because, like, it was, 
it was whoever was like monitoring this guy who like used to work for the Patriots or whatever was the one who found out and was like, you know, he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, oh, like, come on, man. Like, I didn't I didn't mean it. It's like, you know, you got to be careful yeah. who you who you interact with and who you talk to, because not everybody's going to, you know, lay over for you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll move on to the next topic now. Uh, talk about something a little bit more optimistic and positive than that story. Uh, Eric, yeah. tell us about, tell us about yes. the Thunder. Um, yes. Yeah, it's your time, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, man. Ter- well, back on the Astros thing, I mean, that's just terrible. I I don't follow baseball that much. So I had heard the rumors about it that they were going to be investigated, but I didn't realize the news had broke about all this. But crazy story, Nate. I mean, that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> I'm glad that uh, I'm not in that situation with any of my teams. I would hate to be an Astros fan or a Red Sox fan right now. But anyway, yeah, so I'm going to talk about a basketball topic. I was trying to think of what I was going to bring to the table as my topic since Zach and Connor already had football topics planned. And then Nate brought up the baseball topic. I was like, well, let me think of something basketball related. And the NBA has been a little quiet recently, but. I decided to bring up the Oklahoma City Thunder since they are my favorite team and just wanted to give a brief overview of how their season's going so far and how surprisingly well that they are doing. With all the moves they made in the offseason, I was expecting the season to be pretty trash. <laughs> yeah, you were, yeah, you, like, like I keep saying multiple times, you abandoned me on the take a walk and eat a taco. Yeah, man, I, <laughs> yeah, Connor and I, we almost did that, like, when the season first started, but we were like, well, no, when our teams are, like, one and two, you know, it looks a little silly if we're like, oh, our season's over, you know, so yeah. I was like, we'll give it to about 25, 30 games, and then, you know, when both of our teams are sitting at the bottom of the barrel at like eight and 22, then we'll go and do this taco thing. But, but uh, Hey, well, at least the Hornets are still somewhat in it. We're still the, the ninth. We're still, still the ninth seed. Yeah, I mean, and I would still say that they're, they're above, they've been above expectations as well, for sure. Like they're not doing as bad as the Warriors or the Knicks. So you got or the that. Hawks, uh, the Hawks are horribly <laughs> bad. But anyway, so yeah, this, if you had told me that, it, you know, about 40 games into the season that the Thunder would be doing better than Zach's Trailblazers, I would have been shocked because the Trailblazers on paper just are such a much better team, but they're still they're still working on figuring it out. But my Thunder, man, I just, I've been really surprised at how well they're doing. I know some people might say, oh, well, 22 and 17, that's not that amazing of a record, but the expectations for the Thunder were just so low going into the season. I mean, they were trading everybody and just stockpiling draft pick after draft pick. And I mean, as soon as we traded Paul George as part of that deal for them to get Kawhi, I was like, our season's already over. Then it hasn't even started yet. <laughs> I'm like, we traded away our best player. What were they thinking? But and then Russell Westbrook followed shortly after, which that one I actually didn't mind as much, as much as I like what he's done for the team and how hard he plays and everything. He's definitely overrated as a player overall, in my opinion. But I guess my biggest surprise with the Thunder was when they traded Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul, I really wasn't happy with getting Chris Paul and 
for two reasons. Well, I guess really three reasons. Uh, first of all, the obvious one was I hate his contract. His contract, he still has like three years, $120 million on his contract. I, I was like, we need to be shedding money, not gaining money. And I knew they couldn't just trade Russell Westbrook for draft picks because Houston wouldn't be able been able to afford that so i knew we would have to take on some money but he was like the last one i wanted and then two his age he's uh in his like mid-30s which you know for basketball is you know getting up there in age and then three he's had they've had here he's had concerns with uh different teammates in the past especially in houston there was a big falling out between him and james harden and my thought was, man, I really don't know if I want somebody that is, you know, suspicious of being a locker room cancer, being on my team, especially since we're trying to develop these young guys and, you know, become a younger team and everything. But he has worked out very well so far. The combination of him, Shy Gilgis Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder at, uh, at point guard, they've been basically doing a three guard rotation between or. Two, having two of them at the, on the floor at the same time, even though they're all point guards, really just and then rotating them in and out. And it's worked out really well. And when they've been clicking, they've been clicking. And they're 11 and four in their last 15 games. Some of the games have been blowouts, like they blew out the Houston Rockets, and they're beating good teams. It's not like they're just play, they've been on a stretch where they've only played garbage teams or something. They've they've been they beat the Clippers too. They've beaten some good teams, and they did lose to the Lakers their last game. That one was not very a very good game. But I am impressed with how well this team is playing. And what a lot of people don't think about too is in the beginning of the season, the Thunder were losing a lot of games, but most of them were really close games, and they were even almost they came close to beating the Bucks. They came. While they didn't come close to beating the Lakers this last time, the first two times they played the Lakers, they came close to beating them. They came close to beating Houston the first time they played them. Actually had a lead for most of that game. And so people don't really think about that. And now when they're having these closer games, they're starting to win more of them than they're losing them. It's kind of like they're getting the ball rolling. Now, I don't know how far they're going to be able to take it or if they're going to be able to keep this success up but this has definitely been a pleasant surprise for me and it's nice that at least one of my teams in professional sports is doing well especially with it being one that was expected to be so bad so and they still have so many draft picks for the future like the sky could be the limit within the next two years for this team so I'm glad I have kept my allegiance with the thunder all these years it looked like it was going to be a terrible thing going into this year but they're doing pretty well i'm very happy about it and uh curious about what your guys thoughts on the thunder are so far this year um i mean i haven't i mean i don't watch a ton of basketball like I definitely keep up with it, though. I haven't sat down and watched a whole lot of Thunder games specifically, so I can't talk on, like, specific, you know, players I've been impressed by or anything like that. But what I will say is, like, I definitely agree. Like, I didn't really give the whole, the Thunder a whole lot of thought coming into this year. Like, um, I thought 
at this point maybe down kind of by where the Pelicans are, where the Kings are in this like graph you got here. Um, because besides Chris Paul, I mean, I really and Stephen Adams maybe I couldn't really name anyone um on that team coming in this year. Um, just like the whole roster, like you know, wasn't a whole lot of, like big name talent, but I'm impressed with what they're doing there, and I think hopefully it's setting them up for like next like this year they're probably gonna fight for a playoff spot it looks like with how you know many teams make the playoffs but I think next year hopefully it'll set them up for you know even more success hopefully kind of build around a couple of these guys all right yeah I I don't really know what else to say either but I'm not a fan of the Thunder, so I, I don't really <laughs> want to talk about their success. <laughs> Come on, Zach. <laughs> uh, no, I I agree with you what you said though, Russell Westbrook being overrated. I I totally agree with that, but And uh, don't mention don't yeah, him and obviously don't mention James Harden's name around Aaron. <laughs> oh god, yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, man. So I, we'll move on. We'll, we're kinda of short for time anyway, so we'll 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 move on to Connor's topic now. Like uh, good positive subject there for you, Eric. Um, you Seriously, know, with my Jags being so bad and ball, yeah. well, ball, the college football team improved, but the way the men's basketball team has been this year, I'm like, man, I got like nothing to root for right now. But surprisingly, I have. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. Yeah. So I was gonna move on and talk about the Baltimore Ravens because obviously, you know, not so much to. I'm not sure how many of us were um, really thinking this was a possibility. I know, obviously, Zach, because he picked the Titans. And then I know I said that, like, I thought the Titans definitely had a chance. But I don't remember what uh, Eric and Nate's opinion on on this was. But, like, to most of the NFL world, big, big, big upset when Tennessee beat uh, Baltimore in the divisional round the other night. And so... I think the question now for the Baltimore Ravens is that where can they go from here? Because, you know, they it was kind of a surprise last year when they kind of sneaked into the playoffs. You know, they were able to beat the Browns in that last game and eliminate the Steelers from the playoffs and get that spot. But then, you know, they went and lost that home playoff game to the Chargers after thoroughly demolishing them a couple weeks earlier in the season, which was pretty surprising. Um, and then the Chargers just went into Baltimore and manhandled them. So, and now obviously this year where they were the number one seed, Lamar Jackson is the MVP. You know, it hasn't been decided yet, but you know, it's all of them more than likely he's going to be the MVP this year. So, and then once again they go into the playoffs and you know they even get a first round bye this time. And again in front of the Baltimore fans, they just get thoroughly outplayed by the Tennessee Titans. And so. The question for the Ravens is where can they go from here? And my opinion on the Ravens is that I feel like they're probably not going to be, they're more, some of these teams that you look at and you see, and they're like, you know, oh, this team is, you know, they're built for long-term success. They're going to be a force for many years to come. You know, they've got a good young base. They've got the pieces. I'm not so sure about the Baltimore Ravens because I'm not just saying that because I hope that they do bad because I'm a Steelers fan. But, um, I mean, I'm not so sure about the Ravens having long-term success because, I mean, I think I said this before when we did our ASC North preview, I feel like Lamar Jackson's probably not going to be around terribly long. 
And I feel like he's almost kind of hit his peak at this point. Like he's had the MVP season. He's only, you know, it's only his second year in the league, but I feel like he's hit his peak and, you know, he can't really go much better from this. I mean, teams are starting to figure it out. You know, some of these quarterbacks that run like a more college style offense, they get to this point where, you know, they're, uh, they're having a lot of success. Like kind of like Colin Kaepernick did. And, you know, when Russell Wilson first came into the league, I mean, Russell Wilson's still really good, but when he first came into the league and people weren't sure, you know, they have a lot of success to start with, but then it just kind of dies out over time. And the other big question for Lamar Jackson is, you know, he's not a terribly big guy. I mean, I know he's, you know, somewhat big, but he's not like a Josh Allen or a Cam Newton or one of those guys kind of size. And so it's inevitable that he's going to get hurt you know, doing the play style that he does when he's trying, when he's, I mean, in the playoff game, he ran the ball 20 times, which, you know, for a quarterback, if you're not, you know, a huge quarterback and not a big body, not used to taking hits all the time, then it's just going to lead to injuries. I mean, yeah, he's 6'2", 212, which is a far cry from like, you know, Josh Allen's like 6'4", 240, then Cam Newton's like 6'5", 260, so they're they can they're built to take these hits. And the other thing for Lamar Jackson is his throwing, because people didn't really, I think people kind of overestimated how good his throwing was throughout the course of the season, just because the Ravens were so good. But actually, when I was going back and watching the Ravens Titans game, they did pop up with a graphic on the screen where, you know, they were showing the Ravens offensive totals, like where they ranked. And yes, they were first in the run, thanks to like Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram's really good. And, you know, Gus Edwards is coming along, but they were 27th in the pass, which for the way that the NFL is today being a passing league, that's really bad that your team is 27th. And, you know, most teams that are down at 27th in the passing game are out of the playoffs. I mean, they were trying to, thankfully for the Ravens, they had like the number two or three defense and the number one rushing offense to hold it down. but. You know, what happens when Lamar Jackson needs to start throwing? And, I mean, he threw 50, I think he threw 51 passes in that game yeah, against the Ravens, which is lot. just not his, it's not his style. Like, he shouldn't have to be throwing 51 times. And the other thing I looked at in that game was, you know, while, yes, Lamar Jackson had 20 carries, between Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards, they had nine carries between the two of them. Like, six for Mark Ingram and three for Gus Edwards. That number, when you have the number one rushing offense in the league, should be a lot higher. And it's like, it felt like to me, they just, they panicked and they got away from the running game too early because, you know, at the end of, obviously towards the end of the game, when Tennessee was up 28 to six, yes, you kind of have to throw the ball more because it's how you're going to get down the field. But early in the game, it felt like to me, they just got away from it. Again, like they were panicking you know, Lamar Jackson threw that interception. They missed two fourth downs. They Then Lamar Jackson got strip sacked. So they just got away from it too early, and they needed that to go forward. So, but more on, like, their future, I just don't – like I said, Lamar Jackson is – he's a short-term quarterback. He's not going to be a superstar in this league for more than another maybe two or three years. And we've seen, like, the Ravens, you know, they've got this really strong defense – which there's a lot of nice, you know, mostly young pieces on that defense. I mean, Matthew Judon is one of them, and they have, um, you know, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters are two young, fairly young. Well, Marlon Humphrey is really young, but Marcus Peters is a fairly young cornerback. But Earl Thomas is definitely getting up there in age. And then especially on the offensive side, 
I mean, Mark Ingram's no spring chicken. He's 30 years old now, which is pretty old for a running back. So he might not be around for too long. Then, you know, I think Gus Edwards, I'm not sure if he's built to be a number one running back. And I don't know if he's announced it yet or if he said it earlier, or maybe I'm just imagining this, but did Marshall Yonda say something about like wanting to retire after this season? I can't. I haven't remember. heard that, but I oh, also would be surprised. He's right. Old, so, Cause, yeah. yeah. Cause he's like, he's ancient at this point for, <laughs> especially an offensive lineman, you know, he's like 34 probably. So, you know, you lose a key piece on your offensive line, which for a running game, you need an offensive line. And then the receiver situation. I mean, Willie Sneed is a he's a slot receiver. He's not a number one receiver. Seth Roberts is in Marquise Brown. Seth Roberts is another slot receiver. Marquise Brown's trying to get there, but he's not quite there. And the other question for them is how long are they going to be able to hold on? Because what's been saving them in the passing game is the tight ends. I mean, Mark Andrews, Nick Boyle, and Hayden Hurst. What was that? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Somebody, one of my roommates is excited. But Mark Andrews, Nick Boyle, and Hayden Hurst, any one of those guys could go and be a starter on an NFL team right now. So how long are they going to be able to hold on to all three of those tight ends? You know, it's likely at the end of the day, they're probably only going to get to hold on to one of them. So... You know, very, I think, you know, this season, if Lamar Jackson can kind of get over his nerves, I guess, in the playoffs, because he never plays, hasn't played well in the playoffs in his two games that he's been in. And if the Ravens can somehow find, you know, more of a balanced offense to go with, you know, not that we just don't have Lamar Jackson. And the one other thing for the Ravens is that this is one thing I think that's getting away from a lot of teams is run defense seems to be a huge issue for a lot of teams these days because everyone thinks it's a passing league and they go out and buy like the best corners and the best safeties and, you know, maybe the best outside linebackers to rush the passer, but they don't go out and buy these middle linebackers or defensive tackles that are there to stop the run. And you can see like the two teams that have looked the best in the playoffs so far, which, you know, since Casey's only had one game. So I would argue Tennessee and San Francisco both of them have these ridiculous running games. You know, it's not the quarterback that's taking in the victory. It's the running game, and no one thinks about that anymore. So if the Ravens can get more of a balanced rushing attack that's not just Lamar Jackson, and if they can, you know, maybe get some more pieces for Lamar Jackson to throw to, maybe they – and if Lamar Jackson doesn't get hurt, they could have some long-term success. But my opinion is I think probably two or three years – and they're probably going to be back to, you know, uh, being like a nine and seven, eight and eight for a little bit, and maybe trying to rebuild a little bit, is my opinion. Yeah, this is um, this is a fascinating topic here, and it's one actually that I disagree with you on because I actually think that the Ravens are positioned nicely for long-term success because now I I know in the National Football League like. The dynasties and everything, aside from the Patriots, are always really short. I mean, it's very hard to keep a good team together for a long period of time. And there's a couple reasons why I think the Ravens are going to be an exception to that. And one I'll start off with, um, now that the head coaching hires have all been made, they're retaining both of their coordinators. So they're keeping their offensive coordinator, Greg Roman. Their defensive coordinator is coming back. 
they might lose some positional coaches uh, to other teams, coordinators, but the most important coaches are all coming back for them. And another thing about the Ravens, too, they've always seemed to be like one of the most stable franchises in terms of drafting. I mean, they hit on a lot of their draft picks. So considering they've got good management that consistently drafts well and the, they always seem to be drafting well, that, to me, is a sign of a team that's going to have long-term success, no matter the players. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think I think with the management and the way that this team is run, I think that they're poised for long-term success. And, and I, I know I picked the Titans to win the game, but that was because of a few reasons. Mainly, rust from the Ravens not playing for three weeks, and also the Titans being a matchup nightmare for them. So, and it's it showed to me the rust was evident. I think that's why they lost because I watched Lamar Jackson miss on a lot of throws. He did things that were uncharacteristic of him. He was having a phenomenal MVP season and then is off for three weeks. It's just hard to come back to that status that you were at when you aren't in rhythm. You know, I know you can't. I know if you play in week 17 and you get hurt, like it looks really bad, but. You got to play, I think, in that final game of the season because otherwise, especially when you're a, a number one seed, you're getting a first round buy already. You're going to get that rest in the first round buy, but keep your rhythm up, like keep the team together. And Mark Ingram, he was obviously hurt in that game. I, I don't, I think that's why he didn't get much carries. And they did uncharacteristically um, do things that were not Raven like. I mean, they were 0 for 4 and fourth down and they were like 71% on the season. Like, it, it just was all bad for them in that game, but I don't think that's going to be... I, I still think that they're going to be poised for success. Another reason, their division, too. I don't see a serious threat to them in the division. I mean, starting with the Bengals, they're Joe Burrow, <laughs> they're Joe Burrow in a lot away from competing. The Browns are the Browns. I mean, like, you know, I can't believe them until they actually win the division. Um, and then the Steelers, or at least I make think, the playoffs. Yeah, make the playoffs. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and then the Steelers. I know Ben's going to be coming back, but he's still, you know, getting up there in age, and that offense needs some work. So I, I don't see a serious division threat right now for them. So the fact that they can, you know, get to play the Bengals twice a year, the Browns twice a year, those should be easy wins for them. Now, it, I'm not saying they're going to go off and win three Super Bowls or anything, but I still think that they're going to be – I still think that the Ravens are going to be primed for success. Um, the They've got a lot of young players. I, even if Yonda leaves, I think their offensive line is still pretty good. It's one of the best in football. And like I said, I just trust that the Ravens are going to hit on their draft picks uh, like they have been. So that's, that's – um, my, I mean, obviously, I know Connor doesn't want them to, but I and I don't want them to either. They're in the <laughs> AFC, um, you know, I, you know, it is pretty scary that Lamar Jackson's still here, but they're in the conference of my favorite team. So I, I do think that the Ravens are going to be successful still. Um, it's not going to be like a, I don't envision it being like a Patriots long dynasty or anything like that. But I, I do think them and the 49ers, I think are are actually primed for success. I don't see either of them having a letdown um, going forward. So we'll see, though. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, But that'll wrap up this episode, guys. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, We hit three different sports. I think that's a record for the stories episode. Um, 
But nonetheless, we'll be back next week, or we'll be back in a couple of days. Uh, no, no, we will be back next week um, because in a couple of days <laughs> we're going to be on. Connor and I are going to be joining the Collier and Claire Sports Show uh, to record an episode with them. We're going to be talking about the NFL Conference Championship games and probably some of the divisional games and how the teams got here. Uh, then we will be back the following week to talk about uh, how those games went and then do some other stories and stuff. So uh, we'll, I guess, yeah, we, we will be off for a week, um, but Connor and I will be heading on to that other podcast and we'll be sure to post that video whenever it comes out. And uh, it should be a fun experience. I'm, I'm excited for it. It's going to be the first time that we're going to be featured on another podcast. So I know it's kind of nice to not have to, you know, plan out the episode ourselves. Yeah, we're, we're, we're just going to be, for us. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just going to be there. We're, we're just going to be guests. We don't got to, deal with uploading for me anyways i don't got to deal with uploading and all that stuff like <laughs> you know i i just say what i need to say and then they do the rest and peace <laughs> yeah yeah and they, they said it, it's um it wants to be on camera too so i guess on youtube you'll be able to see me and connor because that's how they run their episodes they do it with the camera on whereas we do like share screen so it'll be a little bit different but we'll be sending out links and everything when that video comes out for you guys it should be a lot of fun and yeah, and then we'll be back with the four of us hopefully next week. So thank you guys for listening and take care. Bye. Peace.